You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Regular listeners may remember my brother Billy. Uh, he's my older brother by about uh, two years and change. Uh, we, there's another sibling in between us because my parents were Irish Catholics. And he has been with his partner, Colleen, for a very long time. They are very much in love. They're a wonderful and beautiful couple. They don't live together. Billy has his place and Colleen has her place. They spend almost all their time together. And they're also not married. And they never want to be married. And they're never going to be married. And uh, no one's pressuring them to marry anymore now that my mother's dead, although I try to pick up the slack. Uh, no one could do it like mom could. And that's fine. And that's their choice to live together in sin and be cast into a lake of fire after they both die. But otherwise, whatevs, they don't want to get married. They're straight people who don't want to get married. That's the thing about marriage. It is not, although it is legal everywhere for heterosexual couples to marry, it is not compulsory. Straight couples who do not wish to marry do not have to marry and have never had to marry, haven't had to marry for a very long time, uh, as, you know, my brother Billy and Colleen Evidence. I, of course, am married uh, to – maybe you've heard me mention his name once or twice an episode for the last 365 episodes, uh, little Terry Miller. Uh, we've been married for a long time. We would have been married for a longer time had marriage been possible for us earlier, but it wasn't. But now it is and we are uh, and so there you go. Some straight people who can marry don't. Some gay people who can do. But not all gay couples who are together have to marry any more than all straight couples like my brother Billy and his partner have to marry. Marry is opt-in. The New York Times this weekend in the Sunday Style section had a pretty hilarious article titled Gay Couples Choosing to Say I Don't by Kara Buckley. And it's just all about what's going on in the minds of all of these Gay couples and a higher percentage of uh, gay couples choose not to marry. But what's going on in their minds? Why don't they want to marry? And it's pretty interesting and it's a lot of stuff that we've heard before. But it's treated as if this is interesting and radical and new. Marriage is available to these people and yet they do not wish to marry as if this is a new story, as if this hasn't been going on with straight people for a very, very long time. Marriage has always been, as I said, opt-in and not all straight people back when it was exclusively reserved for them opted in. And I just found the article kind of – Unnecessary? Uh, it, it's fine. You know, maybe in this rush with so many couples now marrying in New Jersey, the 14th state, it looks like marriage is coming to New Mexico, hopefully Illinois, Hawaii on the verge also of marriage equality. Uh, and there's always these stories about long-term couples who wish to marry and very, you know, touching ceremonies and people talking about how much this means to them. So maybe a little counter-programming is, is necessary and welcome. Just to remind those couples out there who may feel a bit of cultural undertow at this moment that – uh, they don't got to do this, that they can make up their own goddamn minds. But some of the reasons trotted out here uh, in this New York Times article just needed to be refuted and weren't. There was nobody no, – no quotes sought from people on the other side of this divide. For instance, um, Sean Fader, who's an artist in New York City, is single and asked to be identified as queer. And he says of marriage, it is this oppressive Christian model that says pick a person that's going to be everything to you. They have to be perfect. Then get a house and have kids and then you'll be happy and whole. Okay. Look, uh, people were getting married uh, long before Christianity came along. Um, if marriage is an oppressive Christian model, that is going to come as quite a shock to my married Jewish friends, my married atheist friends, 
married Hindus, married Baha'i, married Muslims, uh, married Shinto. Like marriage is not something that Christians invented, although they swan around in this country claiming it's all theirs and nobody else's uh, bullshit. And you shouldn't buy into that. You actually make marriage more oppressive when you spit out rhetoric like that, when you credit Christianity with partnerships, with coupledom, with marriage. That's giving Christians credit for something they did not invent and do not deserve credit for and are not the majority possessors of. Also, marriage, you know, people talk about this. You know, marriage, it's heterosexist, it's an oppressive institution. Uh, marriage is only as oppressive as you choose to make it. This is what this is the trap that opponents of marriage equality have uh, found themselves in. There is no logical secular argument that can be made to exclude same-sex couples from the institution of marriage as straight people have redefined it. They accuse us of wanting to redefine it. Not true. Straight people redefined it. It is true, as a lesbian points out in this article, that marriage as an institution has historically oppressed women. Absolutely true. Absolutely 100% true. Marriage for many, many centuries, millennia, was a property transaction. One man making a gift of his daughter to another man and in that exchange, the daughter became wife. Property. Property as daughter, property as wife. And that was a very gendered institution and no room at that end for same-sex couples. But straight people – over the last like 300 years, really redefined marriage first to be about love and not about property transactions necessarily and the law caught up with that and now marriage is whatever the two people in any one marriage say that it is. Marriage is the legal union of two autonomous and equal individuals. Beyond that, you get to write your own ticket. Your marriage can be monogamous or not. It can be for life or not. It can be religious or not. You can have children or not. The wife can submit joyfully to the husband as the Southern Baptist Convention recommends or the husband can submit submissively to the wife as the femdom couples recommend. Everything about your marriage is yours to script. Now, some people default to old sexist notions and gender roles. Absolutely. A lot of straight couples default to sexist gender roles without giving it much thought and then realize they make them very unhappy. And a lot of those relationships collapse because that shit doesn't make people happy. But it is opt-in. Marriage is only as oppressive an institution as you choose to make it. Your marriage is yours. Our queer marriage, mine and Terry's, is ours. And Terry is not everything to me. He is not perfect. He's a lot. He comes close. He makes me happier than not. And we're good together. So we got married, but we don't have irrational, unrealistic expectations. Those indeed will undermine marriage. That does lead to divorce, irrational, unrealistic expectations. If you go into marriage expecting this person to be everything to you emotionally, sexually, you're going to be disappointed. If you go into marriage expecting that they have to be perfect or you have to be perfect, you are going to be disappointed. But if you go into marriage with an open mind, if you go into marriage determined to write your own script, that can be good for you. Not compulsory, opt-in, Billy doesn't have to get married. Queers who don't want to get married don't have to get married. But we can now if we choose. And some of us choose to say I do. Likewise, many of you choose to say I don't and I respect that choice. But don't look at my marriage or other people's marriages and label them a, an oppressive Christian model. And don't read unrealistic expectations into the minds of people like Terry and I who do not have them. That is oppressive. And now your calls. Hi. Um, basically, my question is, I'm in an open relationship with another woman, 
And one of the ways we're thinking that we've been trying to meet people is online, and it's really hard to meet people. But what I'm more concerned about is, um, for while we're here, and we actually eventually want to move to Seattle, is I am currently in school to become a teacher. And once I'm a teacher, I'm really, really, really nervous about being out and open, about being in an open relationship. I'm already gay. So to add on the open relationship component, I'm just nervous about being too out in public with it, with, you know, off to deal with parents, all that stuff. I was just wondering if you have any uh, recommendations or advice or ideas on, on, on what I can do about it. Or, I mean, are there laws around that? Is there a legality issue? I, I have no clue. There are no laws against it. You can certainly be a teacher in an open relationship. There are also, however, no laws protecting you from discrimination or stigma or losing your job because there's a morals clause in your contract because you work at a Catholic school. Uh, there was just a Catholic school teacher after 15 years of service who was fired in some shitty southern state because she married her girlfriend of 15 years that everybody knew she had. But once she married her, that was unacceptable and there's nothing in the law to protect her from that kind of discrimination. So and, and we've seen and we've talked about on the show a lot people who have gone into teaching after a career in porn and then their porn star past comes back to haunt them and they lose their jobs. That said, depending on the kind of open relationship you're in and the, the degree of openness, you know there are a lot of people out there in monogamous or open relationships, and only the people that they're you know closest to friends they may be very intimate with, if not sexually, emotionally intimate with, uh, they may know and of course the people they play with may know or people that they pursue together or separately may know. But it's generally not broadly shared or widely known. Uh, so you can be – it's very easy to be perceived to be monogamous while you're actually not. The difference of course between sexual monogamy and social monogamy. You can be socially monogamous to your colleagues, your coworkers, the parents of your students and so long as you don't run into the parents of your students at a swingers club or on an online site where you're looking for other partners, no one's going to know. And then if you do run into them at a swingers club, you're going to know about them exactly what they know about you. And it becomes a mutually assured destruction moment where if they go after you and out you for being in an open relationship, not that you can or should go after them, but this is just something you're both going to know about each other and you're not going to retaliate against each other. I think you'll be safe so long as you get out of the Midwest. <laughs> you will be much safer uh, as a same-sex couple in an open or monogamous relationship in a big West Coast city or a big college town. Hey, Dan. This is uh, John from Chicago. I'm 43. I've been with my same partner, Jim. We've been together 22 years, and my parents were always accepting of us. My dad passed away four years ago. My mom is ultra Catholic and she doesn't understand the need for marriage equality. And I can't really go after her about this. How do I get this through to her that she needs to understand it without hurting her feelings? I, I need some help because the holidays are coming up and I'm going to be over there a lot the next two months. What you should do is sit down with your mom and Google Janice Langben and Lisa Marie Pond. Uh, they're a lesbian couple. They have four kids. They were on vacation in Florida when Lisa, Janice's partner, had a brain hemorrhage and was rushed to a hospital where she then died. And as she lay dying in a hospital room, the nurses and social workers at this particular hospital in Florida refused to allow Janice and their children to go to Lisa's bedside. Because they were told, Janice was told by nurses that this is an anti-gay state. 
They had powers of attorney. They had durable – they had wills. They had these documents faxed to the hospital and the hospital refused to honor them. So because they were not married, legally married, Lisa Marie Pond died alone. Janice was traumatized. Their children were traumatized. Imagine being in Janice's position at that moment, knowing your partner is in a room in this hospital dying and, and awake and, and still speaking and you are not allowed to go to her because – because what? Because you're lesbians, because this is an anti-gay state. And to be there with your three children, you know, I would think often about what I would have done if I had been in Janice's situation and I think I would have lost my mind. I think I would have punched holes in the wall. I think I would have punched holes in staff members at that hospital who are preventing me from going to Terry's bedside. But then, of course, you remember that Janice is there with her children. One parent is dying in another room. And Janice, of course, would have been under this tremendous pressure not to get herself arrested, not to make a scene, not to fight lest her children be stranded in this hospital with no parents, stranded in Florida alone with one mother dying in a hospital and another mother being dragged away in handcuffs by the police. The, 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 the pressure that Janice was no doubt under to make nice with the people who are preventing her from going to her spouse's side at the worst possible moment of life. And as John Corvino points out in his books and his essays and his YouTube videos that the, the real important incidents of marriage, the rights and responsibilities it confers kick in at the worst moments of your life, not the best moments of your life. We get bogged down on talking about banquet halls and florists and bakers. But what really matters about marriage, the powers really that marriage gives you kick in at moments like this. And they were not honored at this moment in Lisa and Janice's marriage because their relationship wasn't recognized because they were not legally married. And the hospital could choose to ignore their power of attorney. You could familiarize your mother with that and say this is why marriage is important because these other things that people who oppose marriage equality always tell us to do. Oh, you should just get wills and legal documents and do this and do that. Do these workarounds where you can create for yourselves as a couple some of the rights and protections. They're not ironclad. They're not marriage. They don't work the way marriage works and they can be ignored at will by authorities in a way that marriage cannot and never is. So you could say that to your mother. You could appeal to the better angels of her nature. You could ask her to empathize with this woman at this moment when her spouse lay dying and her children were there at her side and there was nothing that she could do because they were not next of kin. They were not legally married. And if that doesn't work, you could tell your mother that it doesn't really matter what she thinks. That you will marry your same-sex partner, uh, that the world has moved on past this archaic definition of marriage, that marriage is only for men and women. And you can add that you respect her and that you love her. Uh, but you can say, you know, you're wrong because what she's saying to you is you're wrong. And you have a right to say back to your parents, you know, I'm not wrong. You're wrong. And if this is hard for us to talk about, then let's not talk about it. But I'm not going to not marry because you are wrong on marriage because you – can't grow and learn and change and evolve the way the culture, the way the states, the way the Supreme Court, the way the president has evolved and the way it appears – and you say your mom's Catholic – the way her pope has clearly evolved and is evolving. Tell her she can follow the pope to who am I to judge land, which is a place he's talking about more and more where she can stick with what? Where does her opposition to marriage equality get her? It isn't stopping it. And you shouldn't – and tell her it's not going to prevent you from marrying when the time comes. So it's not really getting her anywhere. I think of – often I hear from people say, I don't agree with homosexuality. Well, you don't have to agree with it. It's going to go on. 
whether or not you agree with it. Or I don't accept gay marriage. You know what? It's not a package that UPS sent you last week. You don't have to sign for gay marriage. You not accepting it isn't going to make my gay marriage not happen. And you can say the same thing to your mother respectfully with a big smile on your face and then give her a hug. And then hope that she will come around in time just as Barack Obama and Pope Francis have. Well, Pope Francis has really come around on marriage, but you know what I mean. Hi, Dan. Uh, this message is in response to the ongoing uh, dialogue about coming out as bisexual. And I think that you're missing a little bit of a problem here, which is that bisexual is really becoming an outdated term. As somebody who dates both men, women, and genderqueer people, it feels like I'd really be insulting my friends who identify as genderqueer or are trans or fluid by calling myself bisexual because that only implies that there are two sexes. So not trying to be overly politically correct, but I just think that it's kind of an outdated term and that might be why there aren't that many people identifying with the term. Has bisexual outlived its usefulness? Has that term outlived its usefulness? Will people stop using it and then will people stop calling me biphobic because nobody uses that term anymore and I will escape the biphobic label that has been unfairly applied to me? Um, There's a really great piece at Salon uh, early in October titled It's Not Easy Being Bi. Admissions of bisexuality are met with a slew of negative stereotypes. Maybe it is time to put the term to bed by one of Salon's terrific sex writers, Anna Pulley, who also writes an advice column that's terrific and you should read it when you want to cheat on my advice column. And in the piece, Anna wrote, bisexual is increasingly and fervently treated as the worst kind of cooties. Most people who are attracted to more than one gender prefer to identify as anything but bisexual – whether that's queer, omnisexual, pansexual, homo or heteroflexible, straightish, fluid, polysexual, on the down low, gay for pay, and on and on. And now joining us by phone from San Francisco, Anna Pulley, to talk about whether bisexual needs to be thrown on the trash heap of sexual terminology history. Anna, thanks for jumping on the phone today. Thanks for having me. You've now fulfilled my, my dream twice, so I can die. What is your dream? <laughs> My dream to be on your show. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, well, here you go. We're in the we're in the yeah. dream fulfillment business at the Savage uh, Lovecast. So, <laughs> so the, the, you got to listen to the call. Uh, so, this woman who seems exquisitely sensitive to the fifis of all uh, isn't going to use the word bisexual term bisexual anymore because that reinforces the gender binary, which is something that you raise in your piece. It's not easy being bi as a problem with the term bisexual, but also that you know it erases her friends who are gender queer and fluid and whatever and whatever and whatever. Um, every little snowflake. Uh, but your argument with bi is less uh, the gender fluidity thing, less the gender binary reinforcement, cardinal sin, and more just the baggage. Um, yeah, I definitely, well, I think it's both. I think that a lot of queer people definitely have a problem with the term bisexual because of the whole reinforcing the, the dichotomy. Um, but I also think that it's just, it's so, the word bisexual is so steeped and negative associations, um, and, you know, a lot of them are, are outdated, and mm-hmm. you think that um, they're slutty, or they're going through a phase, or they're, you know, uh, just experimenting for men, or, you mm-hmm. know, any one of those those terrible things. And so, as my friend put it, like, the word has more baggage than an airport. <laughs> Does that mean necessarily we have to run away from the term, then? You know, queer had a lot of baggage, and it's sort of been successfully reclaimed and taken ownership. The, the queer community has taken ownership of it in a really positive sense. Is that impossible for bisexuality? Yeah, that's interesting, actually, because one of the one of the people who wrote wrote into me when I posed this question was 
that's precisely why we need to save the word bisexual, because we need to reclaim it like we reclaimed queer and like we reclaimed feminist. Um, and all of that. So that was definitely something that I had never thought about before. Like, oh, maybe we do. But at the same time, I'm really tired of fighting with people <laughs> about, you know, um, like, for instance, oh, the last stupid reason I got in this fight with my ex about whether Willow from Buffy the Vampire Slayer was really gay or really bi because she spends half the season, you know, dating women and half the season dating men. And I was just like, I came to a point where I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, we need to pick a new fight because this is getting us nowhere. Uh, what side did you come down on? I claim that she's bi, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but my friend was like, no, no, because she ends up with women and she like, you know, she wants to date women at the end. And it's like, well, you can't erase all that history that she's had also. But, you know, when fighting about fictional characters, I think it's it's time that you that you choose a new, you know, a new argument. Well, let's talk about a non-fictional character that would be you. Uh, in your piece, you say that you don't identify as bisexual yourself, even though you have sex with men and women, as you, as you wrote in the conclusion of your piece at Salon, which was terrific and everyone should go read it. But what you wrote was, my heart is gay, but my vagina is less discriminatory. <laughs> yeah, that's the way that I, that I choose to identify now because I've had, I've had a lot of discrimination against myself in the past. And one of the recent examples is I went to a health clinic to get a checkup and um, the, the nurse that saw me, she said, oh, you're bisexual. I'll be right back. And she left the room and she came back carrying like literally a grocery bag full of condoms. <laughs> um, and I was like, I appreciate your vote of confidence, but like, I think you're making a lot of assumptions about me that are probably wrong. Um, Meaning she thought you were sleeping so, with a lot of men, a lot of dudes or a lot of yeah. people generally. Yeah. And she it's thought just, bisexual it's meant slut. Not that there's anything yeah. wrong with being a slut, but she thought bisexual meant hypersexual active. Right. Which is and one of I was actually going to ask you, like, if you have, if, like, I say the word bisexual, what's the first thing that comes into your mind? Oh, right now? It depends. The problem is for me, it's because you say one of the stereotypes about being bi in your piece is that it is a phase. And for many of us, it was. A lot of people who are gay and lesbian identified briefly as bi. Because, you know, contra the title of your piece, it was easier to identify as bi when you're 15 and 16 for me than it was to identify as gay. That, right. That, I think that's definitely true. And, like, there are some, you know, there's some merits to the stereotypes. There's some reasons that they exist in the first place. Um, and one of those- I write about this at great length in my book, American Savage, where I have a 10,000 word chapter on bisexuality, that most of the people out there who are rattling around thinking there's no such thing as bisexuality are looking at examples of people who were not bi who said they were. So all of this kind of grief that is created for the bisexual community isn't the fault of anyone who's actually bi. It's all these people who are gay or lesbian who said they were and they were lying. And that creates this impression among a lot of gay and lesbian people that all bisexual people are lying because everybody, because they lied themselves. Because I lied. I thought, you know, when I was in my 20s, I thought all the other bi guys I met were lying like I had and it it wasn't necessarily so but sometimes you know this is what gets me in trouble and gets me called biphobic I meet somebody who's 15 like I was and says he's bi and I think hmm yeah maybe I meet somebody who's 25 and says he's bi and I think bi and I don't think that makes me a monster I don't say to the 15 year old bi identified kid no you're not gonna call you in five years and you'll be gay too I don't say anything but part of my brain goes yeah maybe yeah maybe Maybe he's bi, maybe yeah, not. No, I, I wasn't. That's really true. And I, so, when I, so it depends. For me, when you say, you know, what pops to mind when I hear bi, it depends. But after writing Savage Love for all these years, here's something that comes to mind when I think of bi that is difficult for a lot of bi people to wrap their heads around. And when I write about it, it can be very liberating for people who are bi to hear this. 
that there are a lot of people who don't identify as bi because they've been led to believe by a lot of bisexual writing or, or bisexual activists that that means equally attracted to and capable of falling in love with either gender or any point along the gender spectrum. And a lot of people who are bi seem to me bi like you, like gay or straight heart, but genitals less discriminatory. That they there's some right. they're usually attracted to emotionally and, and, and in relationship with either men or women. But sexually active and physically attracted to others, everybody. Right. Yeah, and that's a big trouble uh, with the with the word as well, because no one can really agree. Like, okay, is it attraction? Is it behavior? Is it like you have to be willing to date both men and women like throughout your entire life? Like, what if you're in a monogamous relationship? Um, right. Like, and you you can't do that. Then, like, you have to revoke your bi card. And I think the answer is no. But a lot of people feel uncomfortable claiming the bisexual identity when they're in a monogamous relationship because it feels false to them. And I've talked to so many guys in particular, bi guys, who feel like they're disqualified from claiming a bisexual identity because they can only fall in love with women. But they love fucking dudes. So they think, oh, but I can't really be bi then because I'm not, you know, I've never really been emotionally engaged with a dude, even though sexually and sort of on a bro friendship level, awesome, and enjoy the guys that I'm that I that I have sex with and I'm and hang out with and run around with, but I can only ever really form that passionate, intimate connection with a woman. And those guys will write to me and say, "I can't be bi," right? And I write back to them and say, "You can be bi." That is, maybe we you know we talk about the gender spectrum. Maybe we should talk about a bisexuality spectrum. Right. Yes. Yes. This is actually another another point that that I make in my essay. Like maybe we need maybe we need an acronym for bisexuality. Like we have LGBTQQ. You know, whatever. Um, <laughs> we need another. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Are you saying up. we need another alphabet song? Because right now it's LGBTQ TS LF uh, I Q again A for intersex and on and on and on. What, what's right. your, now, what's your and alphabet and song? Asexuality wants to join the umbrella, As which it, I think is. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about asexuality joining <sighs> the umbrella. Maybe it's fine. But, oh my god, you're um, an aphobic bigot then. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe bisexual. I was actually I was wondering if like since your readers are so good at at coming up with you know new new names for Saint-Tuan and saddlebacking, et cetera, if we could like pose the question like what should we call bisexuals? Like should there be a new word for it and like dig it out of the muck of which it's you know been resting for the last fifty sixty years and somehow stick this gender fluid bisexual dismount problem. That, can we come up with a term that says I'm attracted to men and women and everything in between that doesn't somehow emphasize the traumatizing yeah. gender binary? But what, what, was, what was your alphabet soup definition or, or proposed new alphabet song for buys? Um, it would probably be at this point something that I I got from that she's a trans bi activist Julia Serrano. She was like, we need like. So bisexual for people who still claim the word and want it and use it. Um, omnisexual. Um, polysexual. <laughs> uh, what else? Fluid, just fluid. You know, fluid might actually work. Like it might be more encompassing and more uh, easy on the tongue. So maybe that, maybe that could work as a, as the new moniker. I don't know. Do you object to heteroflexible and homoflexible? Because when you say my heart is gay, my vagina less discriminatory, I hear homoflexible. Yeah, I don't object to anything. I think people can call themselves whatever the fuck they want. You know, personally. Um, I think when it comes to having productive conversations, it's, it's useful to have a term that we can all sort of agree on. Um, but I don't know if that's actually possible. So 
uh, I'm heavy, you know, and a lot of my friends call themselves straightish. Um, <laughs> no. Jumping on your monogamish thing, I think probably. So that's... I think that's great. I think if you want to be straightish and like bone chicks once a year, like I'm totally on board with that. But yeah, I don't know. I, I sort of stopped using labels. I just, I don't know. Maybe I should just call myself slutty like Margaret Cho. Uh, I think labels are really handy, though. Labels are how we identify and market ourselves to a certain extent. You you want people to know who you are and who you, – you want people who have a chance with you to know they have a chance with you. You want to know – I just think – you know, I think people who usually say I'm against labels are often, uh, unlike you, straight because they yeah. benefit from the heterosexual assumption. Like the label that's going to be applied to them thoughtlessly and constantly is accurate. Right. Whereas yeah. if you are queer in any way – just saying, oh, I'm against labels means you will be constantly erroneously and incorrectly labeled and misunderstood. So I'm pro-labels, right. particularly for sexual minorities who will disappear into default presumed heterosexuality unless we self-identify as not. Right. And that's a problem, too. And a problem. Uh, I'm often read as straight, even though I keep cutting my hair off and wearing combat boots. Like, no amount of gay armor will, will coat <laughs> me as gay to the world. <laughs> well, you are in San Francisco where the straight girls... Do affect That's true, and you know community. what? The hipsters are adopting our flannel and our <laughs> um, our asymmetrical haircuts. We have nothing left. Uh, it's become increasingly hard, but it's great too. I mean, I love it. I think everyone walking across the street is a little bit gay, and that's awesome to me. And some of them are a little bit bi, but we need a better word for them, or we need to embrace bi. We need to either reject bi and come up with a new term, or we need to reclaim bi like we've reclaimed queer. The piece is It's Not Easy Being Bi. You can read it at Salon. You should be reading Anna's stuff at Salon and at The Rumpus, where she writes a terrific advice column. Thanks so much for jumping on the phone with us today, Anna. Thanks so much. Hi, Dan and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I was just listening to episode 363 and the discussion of the acronyms that um, are often unwieldy and apply to our wonderful queer communities. I wanted to put in a word for my personal favorite, quilt bag. It's Q for queer and questioning, U for unidentified or undecided, I for intersex, L for lesbian or leather, T for trans and two-spirited, B for bi, my personal favorite, A for asexual, and G for gay and genderqueer. It does require that some of the letters do double duty, but it has the huge advantages of being pronounceable and sounding really cozy. Yeah, I've heard quilt bag a few times and it doesn't sit well with me. Uh, uh, you like it and that's fine and you can use it. But I shared an office for many years, for a decade, uh, with somebody who referred to his own scrotum as a scrabble bag. And so now whenever when I hear quilt bag, I just think of some different kind of scrotum, some different kind of ball sack. Yeah, it's too, it's too ball sacky for me. Quilt bag. Sounds like Frankenstein scrotum or something. So I am going to... Pass on quilt bag and stick to LGBTQTSLFTIQ again and A for now. And here's the fun in the ever-growing queer acronym is as much as we joke about LGBTQTS and how long it's getting and you know we should sing the alphabet song and be done with it, I frequently say, here's the benefit of it. You know, there's a right-wing Christian pastor in Seattle who is furious about the gay people having stolen the rainbow. That the rainbow in the Bible was uh, God's promise to Noah that he would never become a genocidal maniac again and drown the world and kill all the little babies um, and everything else on the planet. After the flood and you know 40 days of rain and the ark floats around, there's a rainbow in the sky and God who is ever opaque meant that to mean that he would never do this again. 
Uh, so it was God's new covenant with mankind was symbolized by the rainbow. And this pastor is just furious at gay people. We stole the rainbow and he wants to steal it back. Take back the rainbow from the queers. And here's kind of the genius thing about LGBTQ, LSTO. We're stealing the fucking alphabet. Eventually it'll all be ours. That this guy won't have any letters left to write his anti-queer bigoted screeds with. So I think what we should do is we should concede the – we should give him back the rainbow and continue this sort of – ever sort of expanding queer acronym until, you know, we've added Z and W and U and all the other letters we have not yet added until we, we've, we've seized control of the means of communication. And these right-wing Christian bigot pastors actually can't use the English language anymore because we have taken the alphabet from them. Hi, Dan. I am a 26-year-old female, I guess bisexual is what I should be calling myself these days. Typically, I've dated men in the past, but now I found myself in a relationship with a woman. And it's a great relationship. We have a lot of love for each other. We really get along. We like doing the same things. We're super affectionate towards one another. It's pretty much the best relationship, actually, that I've ever been in. She is a certified lesbian, um, unlike myself. So... The problem here is that when it comes to the bedroom, I don't feel as turned on when going to get down with her as I've been turned on in the past by men. It's not that I'm uncomfortable with her body. I've actually come to really love and appreciate her body. Being sexual and intimate with her just to impress that panting with desire, crazy, I have to have you now button that I've that has been pressed for me in the past. So I'm really struggling with this. She's very well aware of the issue, our communication about our relationship and our relationship problems is fantastic. But we're both kind of just at our wits end. I don't we don't want to break up, but we know that this is a big issue and we don't know what to do. You don't say, and you didn't leave a callback number, so I can't call and ask, whether or not this is your first same-sex relationship, whether this is your first girlfriend. You keep comparing how you react to her and what sex is like with her to your past relationships, all of which were with men. And with men, there was this passion, there was this desire, there was this button that was pressed, and you were turned on in this way that with her, you just aren't. And I'm curious as to whether or not you've experienced that those feelings that you miss that are lacking from your current relationship with this woman with any other women ever or if this is something you've only experienced with men. If you have been with other women in the past and had that same reaction that you had to men, that you've been with other women where the passion was there, the desire was there, that desire to be taken was all there and it's only lacking with this woman, well, then this is clearly not – the woman for you. This You guys don't have that kind of sexual spark, that kind of chemical sexual connection and that really can't be faked. So whatever else is there, it sounds like you may have mistaken a passionate and intimate and very close and loving friendship for a romantic relationship and a sexual relationship. And if that is the case, you need to end this motherfucking thing before you completely shred this woman's sexual self-esteem. And her ability to be intimate with anybody because this – being on the receiving end of this constant stream of frustration and rejection 
and it's just terrible for she's going to wind up feeling like she's doing something wrong when you're the problem she's going to wind up feeling sexually inadequate and sexually unsatisfying when it's not an inadequacy it's just that you have needs that she can't meet that she doesn't instill in you a need for her sexually because you're not attracted to her because you may not even be dare I say it sexually attracted to women there are some people rattling around out there who are so not homophobic who are so open to anything in theory that they sometimes wind up in realities that don't work for them because they think it would be great you know of course I could fall in love with somebody of any gender and then they get into a same-sex relationship and they're like "Mm, that doesn't really work for me or vice versa, I should be able to fall in love with anybody of any gender. I want to be that kind of pansexual, omnisexual, every sexual, and then they get in a same-sex relationship and it doesn't work because they're actually queer, gay, lesbian queer. So I, I don't know what the issue is for you. So you know, if you've only ever been with men before and this is your first same-sex relationship, maybe – it's an indication that you're absolutely bi but this isn't the woman that you want to be with however loving you feel about her. It's not romantic, sexual, passionate, love, love and you need to move on to another partner, male or female. But if this is a pattern where you either haven't been with women before or that you've always had this reaction to women and never had that sort of intensity of attraction that you had with men, maybe you're not – Am I allowed to say this anymore? Maybe you're not bi and you shouldn't be inflicting yourself on women who are lesbians or women who are bisexual because you're incapable really of connecting with them on that sort of reptile brain animal sex, sex, fuck, fuck level that most people want to connect with their lovers on. And if you're incapable of connecting with same-sex partners on that level, then you probably shouldn't have same-sex partners because it's going to be painful for them to be on the receiving end of this kind of rejection from you. But if this is your first same-sex relationship, maybe you should move on and have a few more same-sex relationships and explore who you really are and what you really want, what you're really seeking. Or if there's so much love there and you, and you can't imagine a life without this woman but you also can't sacrifice that kind of passion and intensity that you've experienced with men, then you're going to have to have an open relationship where you are allowed to pursue that with others and then go home to her and rub her nose for the next 50, 60 years in your inability to connect with her sexually, with her inability to really satisfy you sexually the way other partners do, that seems selfish. That seems like an unfair thing for you to ask of her to stay with you if that's the way you work and that's the way a relationship with her will have to work if you're in it. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm calling. I'm a mother of two small children, and I just have a question for you regarding religion. Since having my son, he's two years old, I've attended a very conservative church, which I've gotten a lot out of, but they're very homophobic and had a prayer service on National Coming Out Night, which I thought was absolutely horrible. I want to raise him to accept homosexuality and to not be filled with this hatred, but the community at the church is so amazing and they've been really, really nice to me and really, really supportive. So my question to you in a nutshell is how can I 
be involved in the Christian community without all this extra homophobia and all the other crap that comes with it. A little thought experiment for you, Megan. Let's say that, that you have this kid. You have a son, two years old, right? Uh, yep. Let's say there was a one in 20 chance, like a five-ish percent chance that when your son grew up that he would be black, right? So right now he's, you know, little pasty-faced pink white boy. But, you know, this is how race works, that people reach, you know, adolescence and then they become Asian or Hispanic or black or whatever, that we did actually race isn't determined until later in life, right? So there you are. You're this white grown-up. You got Caucasian, at, assigned Caucasian at 15. That's where – you went when puberty hit and your race was then evident. It was Caucasian and you're white. Would you hang out at KKK rallies because the people were nice, knowing that no. there was this 1 in 20 chance that your no. son could be black? Hell no. Well, there's a 1 in 20 sense that your son will be gay. Yeah. And yet you're And hang- I'm totally fine with that. Okay, that's great. But you're hanging out at essentially KKK rallies. You're hanging out at – because the community is nice. You're hanging out at a church where – if your son is still rattling around in that building when he's an adolescent, he will be as damaged as he would be if mom had been taking mm-hmm. him to racist rallies when then it turned out that he was black. Yeah, that's true. And the, the psychic and spiritual damage you could potentially do to your kid by con- by continuing to go to this one particular church that that you identify as, you know, I, how can I be involved in the Christian community? This church is not the Christian community. This church is not the entirety of the Christian community. It's not your only option out there for faith and for, the, the, you know, the sense of belonging and religious community that you found there, but you found it there and in the middle of it is this big shit sandwich of, of rather yeah. anti-gay hatred, right? And because right, you're, you're right. afraid of losing, you know, the connections that you've built at this church – by by leaving it, what you're not doing is making the leap and going, well, I made these sorts of connections at this church. I can make those sorts of connections at some other church. Yeah. What would you recommend? What, what faiths? What denominations? Denominations, yeah, all, that are accepting. All you have to do is look for open and affirming. Start calling around and say, I'm looking for an open and affirming congregation. Those are the buzzwords that churches that are okay. pro-queer – typically sling around. You might want to go to uh, notalllikethat.org, which is the Nalt Christian Project as well, which we've talked about on the show, um, where Christians who are not anti-gay haters and don't have any patience or tolerance for anti-gay hate, intolerant of that kind of intolerance, uh, speak to their truths and what they know and reach out and you will you could find your way to other faith communities through the Not All Like That Project. But also just like start phoning around and asking around. Honest, yeah. to, honest to God, if if your kid could be black when he grows up, you wouldn't put up with a racist church for five no. seconds. No, and I, I I am intolerant to their intolerance. Okay, well, there's a chance I your kid, it, there's a chance your kid could be gay when he grows up, and yet you're taking him to this place. Yeah, I would never take him to a place like that. Um, I guess I just I don't understand why they focus so much on it. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And I was just hoping that this would be an exception to the rule, but when I, but when I saw the, you know, praying against National Coming Out Day, it just, it just, you know, made me feel like, okay, this is just like every other place that I've heard about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, as a, it sounds like a, a tolerant and progressive, and liberal Christian, or as I like to call them, Christian Christians. You uh-huh. should, you should do your due diligence that when you. 
remember, you know, to a certain extent, religions, churches, they're kind of a numbers racket. They want you in the pews. So you are you have the right to walk in there and say, so tell me about this church. Tell me about the kind of activism you guys engage in. Are you helping the poor? Are you helping the sick? Are you helping the needy? Or are you sitting around a national coming out day and wishing ill on people who are not harming anyone? People that uh-huh. Jesus Christ never even thought to mention. If Jesus Christ you know, if we were trying to sort of reverse engineer what Jesus Christ had to say in the Gospels from the actions of so many Christian churches, you would think he did nothing but scream and yell about gay people. Right. And he didn't – I don't even think he said anything about it. He didn't. He said not one single word about it. That doesn't mean he necessarily would have endorsed it. But clearly if it was his top priority, he would have mentioned it. Sermon on the Mount, blah, blah, blah. You can't shut that guy up when he gets rolling, right? If anti-gay shit was the most important thing on earth to him or then the universe to him he would have worked it in to the sermon on the mount nothing out of his own mouth condemns divorce so so you asked why i think that so many christian churches hammer away at this shit at the anti-gay stuff Mm -hmm. because because it's easy because they know that there are no queer people uh, except for children who are being dragged there against their will in their congregations. So when you condemn people for being gay, you're actually not attacking anybody in the room. And you can right. make everybody in the room feel morally superior by condemning everyone who isn't in the room. But it's an already oppressed minority. Are you tithing to this church? No. Okay, good. Then you're not helping to finance that oppression yourself personally. Absolutely not. But you need to get out. If not for yourself, yeah. if not for the conflict in you about not wanting to be a party to this kind of hatred, for your kids. You have two kids. Mm-hmm. You have yeah. two, two one in 20 shots at having a queer kid. Do you want your queer kid exposed to this kind of hatred? No. They don't need any more if there's enough hatred in the world. Exactly. And it there would. has to be accountability for that hatred. You know, the, the, the problem – What's enabled a lot of this hatred to continue is that people like you, people who reject that hatred, don't stand up and reject it. They don't go to the pastor of this church and say, you know what? I like you personally. I've met a lot of really wonderful people here, but I'm leaving and here's why. Because this is is wrong and this is anti-Christian as I understand Christianity. And so I'm moving to a new congregation and that makes me really sad. But when you guys work through and get over this – when you stop trying to pray away the gay because that is never going to happen and as that uh, legislator in Minnesota said, maybe God likes gay people. He makes so many of them. <laughs> yes. When you learn to love and accept, then I may come back. But until then, I'm moving on to a new congregation that isn't bizarrely obsessed with other people's sexual orientations to the point that it blinds them to what should be their Christian mission, which is according to Jesus Christ – Take care of the sick, take care of the poor, house the homeless. Yep, exactly. Not knock the dick out of Dan Savage's mouth. Jesus never said that. <laughs> well, you wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck trying. That thing's embedded in there. <laughs> but don't do it for me. Honest to God, this is what I always say to people with small children who are going to churches like this. There's a one in 20 chance your kid is going to be gay. Yeah, and I would just feel terrible if, if I mean, if he's heterosexual and picks up this mm-hmm. this hatred, and if he's gay and picks up this hatred, it's both it's a lose lose situation either way. Too true, mom. Too true. You're absolutely right. 
I shouldn't limit it just to the damage it could do to gay kids. It also damages straight kids. This yeah. hatred. Get out. Get out. And don't – you say the Christian community. There are many, many Christian communities to choose from. Go find a more Christian one. Okay. That you'll, sounds good. You'll feel better about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> because it's more in line with my beliefs. Thank you for calling, Mom. Hey, Dan. I'm a 20-something straight guy on the East Coast, and I'm wondering what's the most ethical way to create a sex tape? Um, me and my girlfriend are interested in in doing one, but we're not sure about how to do it and make sure that it's fair for both sides in case of a breakup or something like that. Thanks. Well, if you and your girlfriend both want to make this sex tape, then it's perfectly ethical. If you're both consenting to appear in the sex tape and there's mutual pleasure and enjoyment in the idea of making a sex tape, it's completely ethical. What you're worried about is safety post-breakup. You're worried about you know, if it's an ugly breakup and she has a copy of the sex tape or you have a copy of the sex tape, what then happens to it? Will one or the other of you be tempted to – Email the sex tape to you know your ex that you're so angry at it to his parents or her employers or everyone on this server list that you guys are both on. Like that's what you're worried about: retaliation post breakup and there being this weapon in potentially both of your hands, a sex tape that you could ruin potentially each other with. Uh, it literally ruin, depending on what career she's in or you're in. Sex tapes have emerged and destroyed people's lives. You can't really control for that. There's no such thing as completely safe sex. There's no such thing as a completely safe sex tape. Uh, you can't control for it even if – you can't control for it absolutely even if you guys break up amicably and there are no hard feelings and you forget that this sex tape is out there. It winds up on a computer or a hard drive that you neglect and somebody breaks into your house one day and steals your computer and digs through all your files and finds this and uploads it to some anonymous porn site. Like it can really – once it's – Ones and zeros and it exists somewhere. It's endlessly forwardable and endlessly replicable. So here's what you do to assess its your safety. How does she feel about her exes? How has she treated her exes? How do you feel about your exes and how have you treated your exes? Have either of you ever gone bananas on an ex and lashed out in inappropriate ways and behaved in inappropriate ways and done inappropriate, vicious, retaliatory things to punish your ex for dumping you? If either of you have ever engaged in those sorts of behaviors, then then that person or both of you, if you both behave in that way, then you shouldn't make a sex tape because then you do not want that loaded gun lying around where it could be used against you by your ex or you could use it against your ex because you've already demonstrated to yourself, to each other, that you can't be trusted post-breakup to be kind, to be considerate, to remain loving post-breakup. But if you guys have always been on good terms with your exes, if you've always done right by your exes, if you speak affectionately of them and you still have relationships to whatever extent with them, then you're good risks. Then you are highly unlikely to look at that sex tape post-breakup and think, I'm going to get her or I'm going to get him by sending this around. However, again, and a caveat, just because you've never done it before or she's never done it before, that doesn't mean that you're not capable of doing it at some point in the future. So ethical, absolutely ethical, the sex tape you want to make. Safe, it's not absolutely safe. Nothing in the sexual realm is ever absolutely safe. Dan, I really need your help. I feel like I uh, have to decide between having a compatible relationship and uh, my music career, which is I'm only my whole life. Uh, my boyfriend and I have 
the music project together. But the thing is, we're very, we love each other very much, but we, I, I don't feel like sexual excitement. And, and um, I think he does, but he's also like, um, he's 10 years old than me, which never isn't really a problem. But I recently met this person who is, I don't know, I just find him like beautiful in a lot of ways. I'm 23 and they're 18, which um, I guess is closer to my age range. But the thing is, is like hooking up with this person isn't an option. Having my boyfriend as my music partner is also not an option. It's either all or nothing with him. So I don't know what to do. I really have to make a decision. I mean, I don't think that I'm going to ever be sexually satisfied if I stay with my boyfriend. But he's also what, you know, he's also my life. And I know, please help me out. So summing up, you can't be in the band unless you fuck him and you don't want to fuck him anymore, which means you really can't be in the band unless you're willing to fuck this guy for the next 50 years just to stay in the band. I doubt that you're willing to do this. There are, as I said earlier to the nice Christian mom, there are other Christian communities out there. The choice isn't this church or no church for her and her kids. Uh, There are other bands out there. There are other musicians, other artists, other people that you can work together with and create music and art with besides this guy. So it's over and you just need to end it. And if he says then you can't be in the band, if you're not going to suck my dick anymore, then you can't be in the band. Hopefully he'll be a little bit more mature than that and recognize that whatever it is you bring to the band is a value. Even if his dick doesn't get to go in your mouth anymore or anywhere else anymore in on near or around you. But if he can't do that, you don't, what are you going to be in this band and suck his dick for the next 50 years when you're clearly not into him anymore? No, end it. Fuck the 18 year old. Tell him it's over. Tell him you'd like to keep working with him. Tell him you respect him as an artist. Tell him you respect him as a musician and you guys make good art together, but you're not in love with him anymore. And that aspect of your relationship is at an end. And if that ends your association with him artistically, then that ends your association with him artistically. But lucky for you, he's not the only fucker out there in the world with a band. Go find some other people, make a new band and don't fuck anybody in it. Fuck the 18-year-old instead. Hi, Dan. I'm a bi woman in my mid 30s. I've been married over 10 years. I've been non monogamous for about six months. I'm dating a guy in his mid 20s, and he is wonderful in every way, except the one that makes me need to call you. Dan, he's afraid of my vagina. I don't know what to do. I've been friends with him a long time. Um, he's the first guy I've dated since I got married, like I said, more than 10 years ago. And I found out when we started dating that he's in his mid-20s and he's never kissed a girl before me. When he told me that, I almost sort of walked away because I didn't want that kind of responsibility. But he's so hot. He's so hot, man. And I couldn't couldn't do it. I couldn't turn him down. And I also didn't want to send him back out into the world with this bloated confidence that he's still to leave him there. You know, without that experience. And so he's also, we're both very kinky. I'm a switch. He's a sub. So we've been doing a lot of BDSM play. And so that's been really wonderful. And, and, you know, I think he's really enjoyed that. But around the time he got his first blowjob, we um, sort of shifted away from the BDSM. And he's been 
more interested in some of the more vanilla side of things. And so he's giving blowjobs like every time we get together, which I don't mind at all. But he just is afraid to touch my vagina. And I've done everything that I could think of. I, you know, I already maintain a full Brazilian all the time. So there's not any hair to deal with. And he and very keep things very clean and tidy. We've showered together. I have masturbated in front of him so that he can see the process. When I do that, he says that he enjoys it very much, but he does not look directly at the vagina. He watches my face and he plays with my boobs and, you know, but he doesn't watch what I'm doing. The closest I've gotten to come to (laughs) touching me is he will wear latex gloves and he will use a vibrator on me. He can get me off. I showed him how to find my clit and my G-spot. And over the course of about three weeks, we worked up from watching me masturbate to him holding the vibrator and putting it inside, which was like a huge deal for him. But I want him to touch me and I want him to eventually be able to go down on me. Partly because I want that from him, and partly because I feel like it's my responsibility to make sure that he can do this before he goes off and finds some other girl. So, I don't know what to do, Dan. My husband's girlfriend thinks that I should tie him down and straddle his face. I think that would traumatize him. My husband thinks I should issue an ultimatum and say, no more blowjobs until you can eat pussy. I don't think that's really fair either, because he is trying his best. He just, he has a lot of anxiety and I want to help him, but I also want him to do things to me to get me off. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall. Me and all of the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy, we all wish we could have been flies on the wall uh, at this family meeting where you and your husband and his girlfriend all sat down, convened a little discussion, convened a meeting to discuss how to get him to eat your goddamn pussy already. Uh, it's really hard for me to, to, to hear you unpack this dude's problems without sort of seeing it through the filter of my own experience and my own life experience in very similar situations. Um, yeah, I think he might be traumatized if you sat on his face, if you tied him down and sat on his face, because I think he might be a faggot, like I was. Uh, at 15, he's a little older than that, but you know, I was I had sex with girls and I graciously accepted blowjobs with my eyes clamped shut because that was how I could think of dudes and I could touch them. Um, I didn't need a, a vibrator and, and rubber gloves, uh, but I wasn't going to put my nose down there uh, because I just couldn't because I, you know, I wasn't into, I wasn't into women. Uh, I was grateful and I liked them as people and I was getting some sexual experience and it was all I thought I could get at the time because I wasn't ready to be out or, you know, ask a dude to give me what it was that I wanted you know, but I had girlfriends who were very, you know, sweet and indulgent and they sucked my dick and they uh, explored some of the stuff I wanted to explore that wasn't necessarily vagina related. And all of that was fun. And I was able to respond. And I think that they thought I was probably straight but a little squeamish or demented. And I'm sure that my girlfriends thought, you know, if they'd pushed it, if they'd said, you're going to have to eat my pussy, that they, they might have traumatized me because I clearly wasn't ready because I'm so young and inexperienced. They're going to take it really slow. And, you know, by the time they might have been ready to issue an ultimatum, like no more blowjobs until you my pussy, I was already on the deck. Right? I had a boyfriend. 
So, that, but that's absolutely 100 percent through the prism of my own life experience, through the filter of my own life experience. I'm not saying necessarily I know for sure that this guy is gay, but this gay guy acted a lot like this guy at this stage of his, you know, sexual experience and, and exploration and play. What do I think you should do? I think you should thank him for his time, thank him for his attentions, and tell him that he clearly needs to get out there in the world and explore more because. His sexual repertoire is way too limited for you. You need somebody who's a little more comfortable in their skin, and you've certainly enjoyed getting to know him, and you'd like to stay friends. And he can totally use you not as a blowjob machine or a fleshlight, but totally use you as a sounding board, and he can come hang out at the house, and you want him to always consider you and your husband and his girlfriend to be on his side and his buddies. Uh, but the sexual aspect of your relationship is over. Because he's far too limited and, and far too closed off. And, and sometimes people have to hear that. They have to be told, eh, yeah, no, I'm not going to settle for where you're at right now. Because that's the fucking kick in the ass they need to progress, to grow. Who knows? Maybe he'll hear that and go, I will eat your pussy to keep the blowjobs coming. I just needed a shove. Eh. I was being selfish and inconsiderate and lazy and male about it. <sighs> but now I'm ready to go down. But I think that what he's ultimately going to say is, no, I'm ready to go down on your husband. Hey, Dan. I guess I've got a question for you. I am currently married. Uh, my wife is not really into oral sex, we'll say. She likes getting it, but it's not like getting it. It is something that I, however, do miss in a relationship. And when it's brought up, it's kind of just pushed aside, not really uh, thought of. I knew getting into it, this was going to be kind of one of those things I was going to have to deal with. But over time, I found it a little bit harder to adjust to. I don't really want to stray, but at the same time, I don't really know what else I can do uh, when it has been brought up all the time. It's just something that she's not willing to do. Um, any tips for me? The way in which you said, I don't really want to stray, speaks volumes. What that says is I will eventually sooner or later I'm going to go out of my blowjob mind and go get a blowjob elsewhere what I think you need to say to the wife is you know in advance of that straying like I love eating your pussy I really miss blowjobs and I think you know I can bother you about them for the rest of our lives our married lives we can scream and yell and occasionally have fights where I think you know I point out that I go down on you it would only be fair if you went down on me or maybe I could get a pass every once in a while in this thing that you don't want to do and you don't like doing. Maybe every once in a great while, discreetly and safely, I could get it done by somebody else that we could outsource the occasional blowjob. What do you think? And see how she reacts. She'll probably react badly, right? But you'll at least be on the record with having said, pre-straying, that this lifetime without blowjobs might one day lead to you straying, that this was something you had contemplated straying. I think that's an important sort of marker to lay down because you are going to do this eventually with somebody else. Could be a man, could be a woman. You could be one of those straight guys on Craigslist 10 years from now because, who's willing to let a dude do him because that means not having to take money out of a shared bank account or risk any sort of relationship with a woman or somebody at work or a suspicious charge on your visa bill at some jack shack massage parlor somewhere. But I just wish more couples could wrap their heads around this. Loving, long-term, stable, married relationship. It might be a little bit more stable if you had a pass to occasionally get a blowjob elsewhere. 
It might actually make your marriage stronger if you could look at your wife and think, she doesn't like to suck my dick, but she doesn't stop my dick from being sucked every once in a while. So long as she comes first, as long as I eat her pussy, so long as I'm not neglectful, so long as I don't embarrass or humiliate her in any way, that there's this thing sexually that I don't want to live without, but she doesn't want to do, and I don't have to make her do, but I don't have to live without. And if people could come to more of those sorts of accommodations, there would be less cheating. There would be less divorcing over silly things like a blowjob on a business trip, which I predict may be in your future, if people could wrap their heads around that. And, and most people, young marrieds, can't. But you could initiate a conversation about it that could get her thinking about it for a few years and then who knows. If and when you do get that blowjob, which you're probably going to get from someone else at some point, and if she should find out about it, maybe having had that conversation 10 years ago – will make her less likely to divorce your ass over it or more likely a few years after that convo, all of her own volition to just go ahead and give you that blowjob hall pass that you've always wanted if it means getting her out of the blowjobs. We stopped recording my answer because I'd gone on too long and I just mumbled under my breath, you know, there's this need uh, that you don't want to meet that I can get met elsewhere. Why not just let me get it met elsewhere? And one of the tech savvy at-risk youth one of the women among the tech savvy at risk youth said, or she could just learn to give a blowjob. It's not going to kill her. There is that too. And, and maybe she will face up to that learn to give a blowjob moment if she knows that going without blowjobs for you is such a sense of deprivation and loss that you've contemplated cheating on her and really putting your marriage at risk. Maybe that's the incentive that she needs to learn to give a blowjob because it won't kill her. Said one of the tech savvy at risk youth in this room with me right now, who is a woman. This is not a man. Feminist listeners, this is not a man telling a woman to suck a dick whether she wants to or not. This is a man quoting a woman telling a woman to suck a dick whether she wants to or not. For the record. Hi, I'm a 30 year old straight poly male in the Bay Area. I was struck by a pretty harsh revelation of family history this past weekend while seeing my uncle for the first time in several years. Apparently, my mother's father, who was my grandfather, uh, sexually abused her and her sisters in a systematic and pervasive way. He was also interested in my sister, but my mother prevented anything from happening. I have two problems now. Problem one, he was a hero to me. Uh, he kept the roof over our heads while I was growing up, and I modeled most of my worldview on his examples. Uh, when I was 13, he died on vacation overseas just me and him uh, holding my hand, and I don't know how to reconcile uh, the hero with this monster. Problem two is my mother and the rest of my family. She's never mentioned or said anything about this, and uh, she's even helped foster this sort of hero image I had of him, and uh, just don't know if I should talk to her about this, and if I should, then how do I bring it up? Wow, this one's really above my pay grade, it feels. I think you should find a sexual abuse counselor or a family issues counselor and you should talk to them about it. That said, I am going to weigh in because I can't help myself. Um, listen to your story. All I could think of were the stories that I've heard, uh, some from people I've known personally who discovered as young adults that the grandparent or perhaps the parent that they loved and respected who was a hero to them had been a Nazi war criminal, had been a camp guard, had been a functionary in the Nazi state and participated in – genocide. And how do you reconcile those those two facts? The, the, this loving person that you idolized and who was there for you and did for you, like your grandfather who kept a roof over your head, 
with this monster who raped your mother and her sisters and that your sister had to be protected from. Uh, and maybe the right response is to not attempt to reconcile those two things. You don't have to continue and nor would I if I were you to worship your grandfather's memory but you just have to accept the fact that this is irreconcilable, that people can be – people are neither all good nor all evil and that someone who is capable of good actions is also capable obviously of very, very terrible actions. And it may help if you continue to get to the bottom of this. It says you, you say that you spoke to an uncle about this. Uh, this is something that I think you have a right to speak to your mother about and to your aunts and to your sister and anyone else and your grandmother if she's still alive. Uh, and I would, if I were you, if this had happened to me, if I were in your position, I would have some not angry or accusatory questions to ask. You don't know what sort of circumstance that your mother or your, her sisters or your grandmother were in and what kind of power this man wielded over his family. But I would ask some pointed questions about why you were allowed to have a relationship with this person, why he was never held to account, why he was not in prison as opposed to in your life. And maybe it was economic desperation. Maybe it was abuse. Maybe there's a whole other ugly layer that it will be distressing to hear about as well. But now that you know this truth about your grandfather, I think you will only be able to walk with this, to live with this, if you know the whole truth about your grandfather and about who he was and what he did, why it was kept from you and why he was kept from the accounting, the, the, the legal accounting that he had coming, why he was not prosecuted, why he was not in prison, why he was not reported. Then let him go. Let his memory go. And you are blameless here. You as a young boy formed uh, an emotional attachment to this man who was one thing to you and another thing to other people and that is an emotional attachment that in a way you were allowed to form that perhaps you shouldn't have been allowed to form. And you're not responsible for your feelings of affection for your grandfather. You are not at age 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 11, 12, 13 expected to be the world's best judge of character or omniscient or all-seeing and all-knowing. You saw what you could of your grandfather. You knew what you knew of him. You know more about him now. And that is going to change how you feel about him and how you remember him. And that's ugly and unfortunate. And I'm sorry. Hi, Dan. I have a question for you. I'm in my mid-20s. I'm straight. I'm married. Um, and a few months ago, my husband and I moved to a town that's sort of close to where I grew up, my hometown. Um, and I went back for an engagement party from one of my high school friends. And I ran into my high school ex-boyfriend at the grocery store where I was picking up a cake. And we chatted for like 10 minutes. It was totally normal. It wasn't weird at all. And we've always been amicable. We're on like good terms. We're Facebook friends, but we don't like really keep in touch. Um, and then a couple days later, I have like a really sexy, erotic dream about him. And I feel really bad about it. And I feel really guilty. And I feel like I should tell my husband. But on the other hand, I didn't really do anything. But for some reason, I just feel gross and weird about it. So what do you think I should do? Here's what I'd want my partner to do if he had a dirty dream about an ex. Tell me about it so that we can talk dirty about it while I fuck the shit out of him. That energy that you felt, that little charge, that little jolt, that sort of erotic 
affirmation that may or may not have inspired that dream. People sometimes random. I dreamt once I had sex with the Queen of England. I really don't want to fuck the Queen of England. For the record, while Philip watches, not interested, but my random synapse colliding brain made that happen in the middle of the night for no reason of actual desire at all. So, it doesn't mean you want to fuck him. doesn't mean you want to cheat on your husband. It doesn't mean anything. There was just this sort of zap or charge that you got from him that it like inspired something in your erotic imagination where you had this dirty dream. And it wouldn't it be wonderful if when that happens, you could share that with your husband and then take that sexual energy and fold it into your marital, monogamous, sexual relationship with your husband? We know, you know, that you want to fuck other people. You should know that your husband wants to fuck other people too. If you have a monogamous commitment, that means you're not going to fuck other people. But you both want to fuck other people. And how enlivening it would be to your sexual connection, the two of you, if every once in a while you were able to throw that on the table, if he could, if your husband could say to you, you saw your ex and you know, there's still that whatever, you know, made you feel like you were 15 again or 16 or however old you were when you guys were together and it sort of jazzed you up, close your eyes. I'm going to go down on you. Pretend I'm your ex. How sexy would that be? And then you'd have this sort of shattering half fantasy, half reality, half fantasizing about the ex, half the reality of your husband being the one between your legs, orgasm, and then be able to look down and see your husband there and think, ah, in him these things are reconciled. In him I am able to be who I am fully sexually, which is into him, into my husband, in love with my husband, but not completely shut down to other arousing stimuli out there in the world, other people, other situations, other circumstances. Those things are still going to turn you on. And seeing your ex, it turned you on. And then if you had the kind of honest relationship with your husband where you both could acknowledge what you both know to be true, that there are other people you're going to want to fuck. And then use that energy to enhance your sexual connection and your sense of sexual gratitude for each other. Because being with you means I don't have to pretend. Being with you means I can have you and have all this other shit that goes on in my head too, and sometimes have both at once. How would that enhance your relationship sexually with your husband if you could do that? And he could, that means though that he can do that with you too. It's not, it's not a well you're going to want to go to every day. It's not something you can do every time you have sex. You don't want your husband to think every time he goes down on you that he has to pretend to be your ex because that will shred his self-esteem, right? But every once in a while, for him to say... You know, I thought of this really sexy thing that happened to me long ago or there's this person every once in a while I see on the bus. She's really hot. And you just like to, to, to grab that from him and say, tell me about her. Tell me what's hot about her. Tell me what you'd like to do to her while I do it to you. You then sort of own that part of his sexuality, that part of his sexuality that is other directed. You can seize control of it by not trying to block it. And he could do the same for you. So I don't think you should fear this dream. Or what it could imply about your relationship or your feelings about your husband or your ex. I think you should share this dream with him. And then tell him to eat your pussy while you pretend that he's your ex. Hi, Dan. This is Jessica. I'm calling about podcast number 366 where the guy thought it was unfair that he can't go into a woman's locker room and scope out the bodies. Uh, my advice for him would be to join a community theater where people are naked backstage probably 60% of the time changing costume and women are very uninhibited in this situation. So if you want to see some naked ladies, community theater. 
Hi, Dan. I'm calling in regards to episode 366 and the gentleman from Chicago who felt that it was extremely unfair that gay men can ogle straight men in men's locker rooms at the gym. Uh, I did think your response to him was spot on, but I feel that you left something out. This man seemed to think that there should be co-ed locker rooms so that men can ogle women, too, and everything is fair and balanced. I would like to point out that the women's locker room is one of the only places that women can go in public and not be ogled by straight men. So I just would like that gentleman to sit with that discomfort that he feels every time he realizes he's getting checked out by a gay man and know that that's how every woman feels when she's out in the street and getting weird at by straight men. Hi, Dan. I am a straight man from the Midwest, and I'm calling response to the gay guy from a previous podcast who was concerned about faking it with his uh, boyfriend and their third. As a straight male, I am sometimes with a woman and, you know, sometimes she wants to keep going or, you know, come a couple of different times and sometimes I'm just done. Sometimes I'm tired and she still manages to get me hard and so I will fake that orgasm. It lets me go to sleep happy. It lets her feel fulfilled like she got something else to accomplish before we go and everybody goes to bed happy. It's uh, not just a gay guy thing. It's just a, a guy thing sometimes. Shouldn't be worried about it. And, you know, it's all about pleasing your partner. And we're going to leave it there. We want to thank, as always, all you subscribers to the Savage Lovecast Magnum Edition. Thank you so much for your support. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz, 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Anna Pulley on Twitter at Anna Pulley. That's at A-N-N-A-P-U-L-L-E-Y. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. And Nancy, we will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for